Ezekiel chapter 2, can I turn you back there to that passage, entitled it, Response to God Speaking. The response to God Speaking. Let's just unite our hearts together, and the word of prayer as we come to the preaching of God's precious word. Father, we would re-echo even the words of that hymn, we would make it our prayer, Master, speak, thy servant heareth. And O God, we pray that thou would take away the noise of the world. Take away, Lord, those things that maybe our hand has to do this week. Shut us in, Lord, with thyself for this time. And we ask, Lord, that thou would bring every thought into captivity. And, Lord, Father, that thou might even, Lord, find us as a people ready to hear and to respond to thy word. Lord, to that end, fill me with the power of thy spirit, that I would preach as thus, and thus saith the Lord, and, O oh God, that thy word would run and be glorified. Now, Lord, hear our cry and do abide with us. Give us, Lord, help from the sanctuary. Fill us with thy spirit from above. For we ask these things in our Savior's name. Amen. The book of Ezekiel finds him set among the captives in the land of Babylon. It bears some resemblance to Psalm 137. Because there we read of the children of Israel, they sat down by the rivers of Babylon. There they wept when they remembered Zion. There was no joy in them that they could sing the Lord's song in a strange land. But it was while Ezekiel was there that the Lord himself was to meet with him and give him a vision. For five years there was no word from the Lord. But by the river of Kibar, and it means distance. Yes, they were at a distance from their own land. But by inference, there was also a distance between them and God. And it was then that the Lord was to reveal himself unto Ezekiel and what his task was to do. And chapter 1 is all about what he saw. The heavens open and the word of the Lord comes to him and he's given this vision which sets forth the glory of the Lord. You look just at verse 26 of chapter 1. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of a throne was the likeness, as the appearance of a man above upon it. You might have maybe heard some people irreverently speak of of God as the man above. They don't really know him. There's the only reference that you will find a a resemblance to any such description in all of the Scriptures as the man above. He sees the Lord. That is, Ezekiel sees the Lord sitting on high upon his throne in glory. And in doing so, he's assured that the one whose figure was like unto a man was with him in the task. And when Ezekiel sees such a vision, do you know what he does? He does the same as what Isaiah does, as what John does on the Isle of Patmos. He falls down on his face in the dust in reverence and in awe of the Lord. There's no carelessness here, men and women. There's no irreverence here. There's no flippancy here, as is the case with many today in the worship of the Lord. But Ezekiel takes his rightful place 
before the Lord God, who sets the bow in the sky, who dwells in light and accessible and full of glory. And what he was to see was to be complimented by what he was to hear. And that's what chapter 2 is all about. It appears that of himself he is helpless to obey the command for him to stand on his feet. If you look at verse 1, And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. He can only do so, verse 2, by the help of the Holy Spirit. For it says, The Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and sat me upon my feet that I heard him that spake unto me. It's going back really to what we were speaking to the prayer meeting on Thursday night. You see, there is an example. Not only that we can't do anything, we can do anything without the help of the Holy Spirit. But there is an example again of where the Spirit of God works in conjunction with the Word of the Lord. The Spirit of God never works against the Word of God. The Lord gave the command to Ezekiel to stand and it is the Spirit of God that enables him to obey that command, enables him to stand. And men and women, there is a little reminder that without the power of God's Spirit we will do nothing and we'll accomplish nothing. We cannot approach any work for God depending on our own strength. We dare not approach the gospel mission depending on abilities or our own strength. We must depend on the Lord. Calvin was to say this. Let me quote it. Let us learn to seek from God alone that fortitude which we need. If Ezekiel needed to be strengthened by the Spirit of God, much more do we at this time need it. And what follows is a message that the Lord was to give to him. And part of that instruction is our response to God speaking. I want us really to consider verses 8 and, and probably just uh, the, the, the two verses that follow. Uh, but you look at the verse 8. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. Notice the exhortation. Whether it's unto a man that's sent of God. And you notice in verse 3 that Ezekiel is a man sent. Or whether it is to any one of God's people, there's a clear and there's a plain exhortation found in the opening words of verse 8. Be but thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. The term son of man is one which is often found throughout the book to describe Ezekiel. It reminds us, of course, that we are all born of flesh and blood, that we all are inherently weak and frail of ourselves. But not forgetting in the context of Ezekiel, it also was a common term used by the Chaldeans. But you'll see the instruction in this exhortation. He's to hear. He's to hear. He was to actively listen to what would be spoken unto, it, unto him and to receive it. The simple uh, exhortation is oft repeated in the New Testament. If any man of ears to hear, let him hear. We're not dealing with some great theological profound truth. We're simply bringing it right down to the plain and simple this morning. God says, 
you're to hear. If you think of Mark chapter 4, maybe you'll turn to it. Mark chapter 4 and verse 24. It brings in the same thought. It says, And he said unto him, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. Take heed what ye hear. You realize there's a responsibility in what you hear. Of course there are those things that we ought not to permit our ears to be subject to. The conscious decision to listen to the language of the world. The gossip of the tailbearer. Or even the worldly devil-inspired music that people think is harmless. Men and women, we shouldn't give our ears to any of that. It is found in the little children's chorus. But you know what applies to every one of us? Be careful, little ears, what you hear. What are you listening to? Understand that for the one who has the privilege of hearing a word from the Lord, then accordingly is measured the responsibility upon that person to act upon it. That's what the Lord's teaching in Mark 4. The Savior was to teach that the mark of his people is that they hear his voice. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice and they follow him. To Ezekiel, the instruction was clear. He was to listen. He was to hear what would be spoken unto him. wonder, have you come to God's house this morning to hear, to listen, so that you might be instructed of the things of God to your soul? You know, the world is much noise. And your workplace is no different in many cases to my workplace. And there are things that this week that maybe have to be attended to. And those things will be loudly found in your mind and in your ear this morning. But have you prepared your heart to set those things to the side and to come and to hear of what God would say? See, the importance of this exhortation wasn't just a matter of hearing anything. For Ezekiel, the exhortation was, he might hear what I say unto thee. The one who gave this exhortation was none other than the Lord himself. The words that Ezekiel was to hear were divine in their origin. They had the stamp of heaven's authority upon them. This man called of God was to hearken to the voice of him that speaketh from above. This wasn't the word of a man. That's the word of the king. The king who sitteth upon his throne and where the word of the king is, there's power. His word is that which shall not fail. It will stand the test of time. And for while the heavens and the earth will one day pass away, the word of God shall never pass away. And Peter could bring it out even in his little epistle. He speaks of it as an incorruptible seed that liveth and abideth forever. And you see, therein lies its importance. It's God's word that he was to give heed to. 
And the exhortation is just as important to our hearts today. There is, this is no ordinary word. Oh, the world might cast it off as the writings of many a man. The world may despise it. The world may speak of it as not applicable to our time. It is antiquated. It is out of date. The world may even rip it up or seek to tear it, as we heard about even in that parade in Belfast last Saturday. But you know, that doesn't take away. In fact, it adds to the importance because it's God's word. God has not only given his word and revealed himself unto man by this word, but he has also preserved this word. And that's what the Protestant Reformation has given to us. It was a rediscovery of the very word of God. It's what we read there of what Ezekiel in the end of verse 4. Thus saith the Lord God. It's not about what says the traditions of the fathers. It's not about what the church teaches. It's thus saith the Lord. And the Lord would come to your hearts today and exhort you, child of God, hear what I say unto thee. I wonder how do you receive the word of the Lord? There may be those who would just think that the word preached is nothing more than some notion or thought of a preacher. How far short of the manner in which the church in Thessalonica considered the preaching of God's word. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and the words of verse 13 sums it up for us because Paul could say, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because, why was he thankful for them? He says, When ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, just earthen vessels as we were, so was Paul. Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. They received it as the word of God. It's not the preacher's business to bring forth some petty thoughts. It is the business of the preacher to directly divide the word of truth, to be that good workman. You consider that this exhortation there was in the intention. Why was Ezekiel to hear the word, knowing that it was the word from the Lord? So that he might be able to speak that word unto those to whom God had sent him. You look at the words of verse 7. Thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. It wasn't his immediate concern whether they would listen to the word or not. But his concern was that he might speak God's word to them. Psalm 139 reminds us, not only does God know our downsetting or uprising, but he knows our thoughts are far off. He knows where your thought is just now. It's not my immediate concern whether you'll listen or not. I want you to listen to what God has to say. Ezekiel, don't you concern yourself about that, but you are to speak the word that I give to you for them. He was to be faithful to Christ by speaking his word. 
And he was to be faithful to the words of them whom he had sent, who would be sent, the souls of them to whom he was going to. For he was to speak that word that he had received. And the same exhortation was given by the Apostle Paul unto Timothy. Do you remember when he exhorted him, preach the word, Timothy. Be earnest, be instant, in season and out of season. Timothy, when it suits and when it doesn't suit, Preach the word. Preach the word in your Sunday service. Preach the word at funerals. Preach the word at weddings. Preach the word. We might suggest we're in those days that Paul spoke about to Timothy. Days when they turn their ears from the truth and be turned onto fables. Days and times when there is no enduring of sound doctrine. But yet such a day does not excuse us from speaking forth the word of the Lord. Dear child of God, the Lord would still exhort us to listen to this word so that we may be able to impart it unto others. But you will not be able to fulfill that command unless first of all you have listened and you have received the word of the Lord to your own heart. And Christ says, learn of me. Is it Matthew 11? Learn of me. I wonder how are we doing? You see, here's an exhortation to every one of us. But not only the exhortation, but there's a separation. Ezekiel was called of God to go unto a people. And almost immediately he's told the sort of people that he was going on to. Verse 3. He said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. The Lord was sending. And the Lord said to Ezekiel, I'll tell you the sort of people that you've been sent to. Again in verse 8, that verse that we have Uplifted before you as a little springboard for the message. You'll notice the Lord again gives a description of the sort of house that Israel was. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thy rebellious like that rebellious house. You know, in the scriptures we have various descriptions. You have the description of Egypt as called the house of bondage. The children of Israel were in bondage to the servitude and to their masters uh, as they were uh, made to, to make the brick, etc. We are also given a little description of the house of David. The house of David was a house of sin and uncleanness. He could say, Although my house be not so with God, yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant. You know, it's called the house of sin and uncleanness because there's every sort of sin found in that house. There's deception there. There's lies told in that house. There's adultery in that house. There's conspiracy to murder and murder itself there. And Israel, at this juncture of their history, were described as a house of rebellion. And as I go around doors in some of your houses and doing the outreach, you know, I come across people have named their house Bethsaida or Bethel or some other name. 
I've never seen someone with a name, House of Rebellion. But that's what God calls Israel this time. That's a rebellious house. What a contrast with the description that is given of the Lord's house and the place of worship. Isaiah chapter 56 and the words of verse 7. The Lord through that servant, through that prophet, says, For mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. Now there are many who have consciously set out to make God's house a house of entertainment. By their music, by their drama, by their gimmicks. That's a house of entertainment this morning. And they do those things so that they might attract people. And let me tell you, in many cases, people are flocking to those sorts of places because, you see, those are the things that appeal to the flesh. Those are the things that appeal to the flesh. A service where there's hymn singing and psalm singing, where prayer is offered, where preaching is central, is considered by some to by some to be out of date. There are others in the place of worship resembles a theatre, the stages of the world. You need all the imagination that you can muster to consider that there's supposed to be a place for the worship of God and to be a house of prayer. It is men and women from such that we separate. It is that we would pray that God in his mercy would ever save this house, this congregation, from ever deviating from the purpose why he has set these buildings here on the Market Hill Road. Why? It is to preach the whole counsel of God. It's a house of prayer. It's a preaching house. And in considering this description of Israel, it's needful that we define what rebellion means as God sees it. Oh, you may think of the rebellion, you may think of a rebel uh, uh, of our uh, history, for example. And to your minds it may seem some great notorious thing that was done or a group of people that incurs the judgment of God. But how different when we consider the context of these words. If Ezekiel wouldn't hear the word of God, if Ezekiel would not do what God bid him to do, then he also would be considered as being rebellious. If he did not hear everything that Christ would speak unto him, if he drew back in the work that God had called him to do, then God says he would count him as rebellion. Rebellion against God. Refusing to hear God, his will, refusing to do it, his rebellion. You turn back uh, with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. You see, this is what Samuel the prophet was to remind the nation of Israel at that time. It was a time where they called for a king to rule over them just like the other kings. And Saul was brought to rule over them. First Samuel 12, look at verse 15. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. Whatever the excuse, whatever the pretense would be, if they disobeyed the command of the Lord, then they were in rebellion. And child, can I say to you, if you don't obey your mother or father in the tasks in the home, you're in rebellion. 
You're being rebellious. That's what the word means. How poignant a truth, especially in the light of the sin of Israel that was to follow from 1 Samuel 12. And Samuel is brought again to stand before them and to say those well-known words. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22. He says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Listen to this. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. I wonder how does the Lord describe you this morning? Child of God, are you walking in obedience or are you walking in rebellion? Because you've heard his word. There's a little task that God has given you to do, but for whatever reason or excuse, you've refused to obey it. Having described Israel, God desires that Ezekiel might be diligent in separating from their ways. He wasn't to allow their example to condition him so as to cause him to refuse to listen. He might be sent on to a rebellious people, something that the Lord repeats many times, even in this short chapter, but while he would be among them, he wasn't to be like them. There had to be separation. Do you see it in their text in verse 8? But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Ezekiel wasn't to imitate their example. And that same diligence in separating from the ways of the world, is it not applicable to this day? The Lord says to his people, learn not the ways of the heathen. The New Testament puts it like this. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Be not conformed to the wor- this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. See that little word transformed. It's where you get the English word metamorphosis from. And we all know what a metamorphosis is. It's from the caterpillar being turned into the butterfly. There's a complete change. And the Lord would say to us afresh this morning, we're not to be conditioned by the world. We're not to be conformed unto the ways and the world's thinking. But we are to be transformed. Transfigured. Praise God, while we may be in this world, we're no longer of it. The Lord has saved us from his ways so we might be conformed unto the image of Christ more and more. How anyone can deny the doctrine of separation is found in the scriptures is beyond me. There is for the child of God to be separation. Separation ecclesiastically, yes, and that's a subject in itself we could take some other day, but separation from sin. And that will mean going outside the camp. It'll mean bearing the reproach of Christ. We are no longer servants unto sin, but we are to be servants unto righteousness. Let me turn you please to Romans chapter 6. I want just to emphasize this before we we go a little further. Um, uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Paul's writing to the believers in the Roman church. You see verse 11, he says, Likewise, 
So there's a little connection with what has gone before. Likewise, reckon or remember. Count, if you like. Count ye also, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead and indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're no longer child of God under the condemnation of sin. Remember that. Count that. What a privilege. But he goes on, he says, let not this, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Sin is no longer to be the king. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You see the change that God wrought. The Lord is now king. We serve him as our new master, no longer serving the devil, no longer serving sin, no longer serving, giving our instruments of our bodies onto sin. How is it with you? There's one final little thought that I want to bring out just from these words of Ezekiel chapter 2, and that is the digestion. The servant of the Lord who had already received a command And the great challenge from the mouth of the Lord had now a preparation to make. It is as if you you find him, as you will be doing maybe within a short while, sitting down at the table. And there are some things that he needs to understand before he partakes of those things at the table. You see the end of the verse 8. God says to him, open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. Open thy mouth. If we're going to receive food, that which will benefit our physical bodies, then we must open our mouth. But the message from the Lord in the spiritual sense was exactly the same. Ezekiel needed to be prepared to open his mouth that he might receive good things. He was to be in a state of readiness. He was to receive that which would be given. He had to be prepared to receive it and to eat it. And so it is with God's people. There needs to be that preparation to receive God's word. And there are times when what is received, it may be bitter to the taste. There will come the word of challenge. There will come the word of rebuke. There will come that hard trial. God sometimes has to speak loudly. Has he not been speaking loudly in this district of late? And men and women, we need the grace of God to receive that as from the Lord. You need preparation to open your mouth. That is why I exhort you when you come to your quiet time that before you just get into the Word and read some passage that is open before you, that you bow your head and you ask the Lord to bless the Word to your soul. You prepare your heart because you're coming before God's Word. And after you read it, you go to prayer and you pray that Word back to the Lord that He has given to you. 
We need the grace to receive whatever the word is from the Lord. You see the provider here mentioned. Who's the one that, who provides? It says, open thy mouth. And eat that I give thee. As in the material sense. So it is true spiritually. The Lord provides us with all good things. The Lord had a role for Ezekiel to eat. That role is described in the next verse. It was prophetical in its nature, for it spoke concerning the nation of Israel. But it was something that came from the hand of the Lord. The contents of that role were not the most pleasant, for when it was spread open, there was written within, without verse 10, lamentations, mourning, and woe. It would be a better experience for Ezekiel as he sought to eat it. And yet also one which was sweet. Bitter. Because he had to speak a message unto this people that was painful. But sweet. Nevertheless. Because it was a message from the hand of the Lord. And he was the messenger of the Lord to deliver that message. And dear people, when we consider the great plan of redemption and all the blessings that flow to us from it, then it has come from the hand of the Lord. It was wrought out in the mind and the counsels and the heart of God from eternity past. And from the hand of God was to come forth the gift of His only beloved, His only begotten Son. For when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman. Anything that we have today is because of Christ. And the provision of God's so great salvation. A message that is sweet. For God was manifest in the flesh. God came down from heaven's glory to dwell amongst a sinful lost mankind. A sweet message. But yet a bitter message when we consider what the cruel and wicked hands of men were to do to the lovely Savior. And they would take him and they would kneel him to that Roman gibbet. And what it meant for God's Holy One to bear away our sin. And you'll see here that for Ezekiel what was given unto him from the Lord would be profitable for him to digest. That was what he had to do. Ezekiel, open thy mouth and eat it. When we have an eye to the hand that gives, then we know it will be profitable for us. We may safely take of it and eat of it, for Christ gives nothing to his people but what is wholesome, what is profitable. Tommy, are you digesting his word to your soul, feeding upon that fresh bread that comes from the ovens of heaven, knowing that no good thing does the Lord withhold from them that walk uprightly? I trust that you're profiting spiritually, but if you fail to eat well, if you are spiritually starving, then I would that you would gaze afresh at Christ. And that you would consider even what is said of him in Isaiah chapter 50 
And the words of verse 5, it says, The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Men and women, that verse, those verses, they can only speak of Christ. They're messianic. That's why sometimes of the old Jehovah Witnesses, the Russellites, if they come and if I'm approached by them, I'll take them to Isaiah 50. It gets them off track. Verse 1. Thus saith the Lord. Who's the Lord? Who's Jehovah? Verse 5. The Lord God hath opened mine ear. Christ is Jehovah. And Christ was not rebellious. And neither did he turn away his back. In fact, he gave his back to the smiters and his cheeks to them that plucked off his hair. Have you left off feeding? And get a fresh view of Christ this morning. If you're not saved, will you not recognize that the Word brings you to the Savior? The engrafted Word is able to save your soul. Recognize that you're dead in sin. There's no life in, in, in you. But all oh, that if you would come by faith, you would partake of Christ. You would taste and see that he is good this morning as the psalmist says. Then you'll no longer be a rebel. For he'll take you in. And him that cometh unto the Father, I will in no wise cast out. he give you the power to become the sons of God, even to them. Believe in his name. That's the child this morning. That's the young person this morning, the adult this morning, even to them. I hope you're not trying to hold on to your coats of your father or mother, child. I pray that you might know yourself God's salvation. Open thy mouth. And eat that which I give thee. May the Lord be pleased to bless his word even to our hearts this morning. For his only name's sake. Let's stand, let's stand and sing 430 in closing. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide, 430, during the words of verse 2, those that can't remain, you make your way quietly out while others continue even to sing this hymn. 430, let's stand as we sing.